0: So nice to see you. So glad you're here. Oh 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 oh. We wanna know Jesus. We wanna grow like Him.
1: We wanna know Jesus and do the things that He did. So good to be with you. We're so excited. I love doing baptisms. It's brilliant. I'm so excited. Partly because it's just this amazing time uh, to baptize people. And also because Chakrasa hates getting cold. And I just love seeing him freeze in the pool. <laughs> Guys, can I encourage you to come in, take your seats, make yourself at home? If you have um, a Bible with you or your phone or whatever, I'd love you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, that is about, you know. Nine or ten books into the New Testament, which is the, like the last third of the Bible. If don't, if not, don't worry; it's going to come up on the screen. And we got this um, this passage this morning. And before I read this, I just want to offer this as like a disclaimer. This is I I can't in the time we have possible I can't say all that I want to say about this passage. Today, I feel like it would take me about 10 years, and I know some of you have lunch plans, so I'm not going to go for 10 years, although, although it might feel like it for some of you. Um, so let's just jump into this, and my, my encouragement this morning is, can we try and hear what God is saying, and not what the cultural noise is saying about this passage? Is that okay? So Ephesians 5 verse 21 says this, Submit to one another, of reverence for Christ, wives submit yourselves to your husbands as you do the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body of which he is the Saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands love your wife just as Christ loved the church. Gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. We are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Lord God, we just pray that we can hear what you're saying, not what, our culture our media is saying but Lord hear what you're saying in the midst of this today come Lord Jesus and speak to us by your spirit we pray amen so I was told I had to stand on this pulpit to preach I feel very tall like I often feel tall but I feel very tall so um, forgive me if I thought to sort of slide down a little bit I once saw this passage taught in church And the person had been asked to read the scripture before handing over to the person who was preaching. And instead of at the end saying, uh, this is the word of the Lord, he turned and looked at the preacher and went, well, good luck with that one. (laughs) Um, So if that's what you're feeling, I would appreciate that. Just a really quick disclaimer, I've read so much on this. like I've read books and books and books and commentaries and everything. And a lot of it is at best a bit trite, if I'm honest. And at worst, demeaning or demoralizing or destructive around this, this topic. I've really enjoyed some of the stuff um, John Tyson's done, some of the stuff John Stott, and he, like, even John Mark Homer's stuff on this. Apparently, to speak into this passage, you have to be called John. Um, so if you want to go there, have to check out some more. I'm not going to be able to get through everything today. This is a passage that um, speaks a lot about marriage. Why, why here, when everyone's not married? Well, I think several reasons. Firstly, this was written to the church at large. Um, and it's important whether you're married, unmarried, whether you're desperate to be married, whether you're glad that you're not married, that we kind of have a healthy view of what this relationship looks like. Secondly, the larger context of this passage is a vision for the church. Of how Jesus loves his church. And Paul's trying to explain that to us. It's important we get our heads around that. And thirdly, I think we all have a responsibility to help each other. And part of that is understanding what marriage is is about. We live in a moment where to talk in any way like this passage is, is, considered at best archaic and if not abusive. And here's the thing, often with really good reason. Throughout church history, this passage, and others like it because this is referenced a lot. Uh, It's not in isolation. They've been used to bring misery, abuse, pain, and suffering. I think we just need to acknowledge that. And as the church say, we're sorry for the ways that this scripture has been handled poorly. And coupled with that, we live at a time, probably for the first time in history, where the traditional understanding of gender and identity are being challenged at large. Not just in kind of individual um, spaces, but challenged at large by our culture. Certainly in the Latin West, and increasingly that we may want to ignore it on our own doorstep. We live in a cultural time where the thing that is promoted is a personalized secular salvation. Which is the hope that we can bring about salvation by ourselves and for ourselves. Like, this is my feelings, this is my rights, these are my opinions. And the things that will bring about salvation... And we look to push for them and uphold them. But with this, particularly in the areas of sex and sexuality, what we thought would bring freedom and emancipation and newness of life has brought pain and disorientation and societal anxiety. And this morning, some of you are like, I can't even believe you would read that passage out in church. But I want to ask something this morning. I think increasingly a lot of us have pain, confusion, suspicion about marriage. But I want to challenge us to suspend our judgment. Because firstly, this wasn't written to our context. The implications are definitely for us. But it wasn't written to our context. It was written to a different time and culture. And I think we need to have the grace to hear what God might want to say through this. I think the danger is we don't hear what's being said. Either we hear nothing... Or we hear something that's not in there. And something with, with something so powerful and important, I think it's right, we, we try and listen well on this. We've seen this beautiful letter of Ephesians that we've been going through. A vision that Paul has given to the church. Understanding this is who Jesus is, this is what he's done. This is who he is and this is who we are in him. And what God's vision is for his people. And then Paul shifts gears From these kind of grand themes to, this is what this looks like in our midst. This is what this looks like in in unity. The hope of the body of Christ. The authentic oneness that we're called to. And then into a vision of Christian living. And we wind up here with kind of this idea for Christian households. So Paul is writing to a church that's in the midst of a a city, a thriving city like Nairobi, like bustling, hurrying, it's this trade center, but also has this really dark underbelly. And Paul writes this passage about men and women understanding one another in, in a cultural context that for many, this was written into a time and culture that for many, but particularly women, was brutal. This was written to a patriarchal society where women were inferior. That's the way they were viewed. Women were not people in the Roman Empire, they were possessions. They were essentially seen as a useful way to manage the house. i look after the children, keep things tidy, and men would look for friendship and sexual fulfillment elsewhere. And even within Jewish culture, the men would begin the day with a prayer like this Thank you, God, I'm not a slave. Thank you, God, I'm not a Gentile. And thank you, God, I'm not a woman. And it's hard to estimate the impact this was having as the marriage breakdown across the Roman Empire was huge. But it was seen to be rotten from the core to the point where kind of like you'd have female babies just discarded on the roadside because they would just they serve no functional role in taking the family forward. And in this passage, Paul writes into this context. He says, this is about husbands and wives. Then he goes on to children and parents, slaves and masters, which feels like a really interesting trio to pin household living on. But this society had been so shaped by Greek and Roman values, of which standing large in the way that they thought about community was Aristotle's vision of the household living. And in Aristotle's vision of household living, um, the, the, the stuff he'd put down was to say three things. Husbands, this is how you treat your wives. Fathers, this is how you treat your children. And slaves and masters. So Paul is writing not into a cultural vacuum. He's referencing the literature that was shaping the culture at large of his time. And Paul's using what we call kind of like a lifestyle apologetic, where essentially he uses the cultural framework at large and teaches the way of Jesus through what they already understood, but he flips it on its head and he subverts it. Paul is bringing the entirety of Jesus to bear on the social structures of the day and he's looking to subvert them through doing it. At the time, there was this kind of uh, anti-Rome movement. There was this rise of feminism. Um, One of the kind of haunting images was uh, this women saying, we can do exactly the same as men do. So they would go out hunting, bare-chested, to go and hunt for wild pigs, apparently. But to this people, where this was moving... There was a rise of like, violent feminism, but there was also this massively patriarchal society. We have Paul going to this people who are unchurched, unjesus' to try and explain what it means to live the way of our Saviour. And Paul into this cultural boiling pot that was threatening to blow apart all of society, he comes in and says, We're gonna begin by submitting to one another. We're going to begin by loving. Husbands, don't degrade, don't devalue your wife, but love them. Don't damage your children, but love them. In short, Paul sets off a depth charge into the culture. And in this culture, to read, you know, this passage, if it was read out in the early church, the women would be like, finally, this makes sense. And they would get on board with it. But the men, they would be shocked to their core, this is... Violently against anything they understood in their time. Like, what are you talking about? There would be turning up the tables in the community groups. And this passage, in context and in its culture, is a revolution for women. And it's why, in the first like 350 years or so, the early church, you know, women found a space and a place in that that they never had in society. It's why they became leaders and thinkers in the early church, and one of the reasons that Christianity took over the known world. So let's kind of on that the backdrop of that let's jump in and deal with this passage. This is a follow-on from a lot of what Paul said, but in the context, the framework of this is being spirit-filled, which we see in the verses before. So these spirit-filled people, and in mutual submission, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul locates marriage as a spirit-filled pursuit. Idealism and good thinking will not help our marriages in the long run. The way of Jesus will. And our primary identity as disciples is to love one another in mutual submission under the power of Jesus. And this is the context under which everything else hangs. So we actually have a vision for life in mutual submission to one another, and it stretches out beyond marriage. This new community that Paul has been talking about, this distinct way of being the church. Can you imagine the vision it would offer the people around us if we, if they looked and saw us living in mutual submission to one another, not taking power over one another? You're going to struggle in church, whether you're single or not, if we, if you can't be in mutual submission to one another. So marriage then is not women doing this for men or men doing this for women, but both jumping in under mutual submission to Jesus to love one another in marriage and give their lives away for one another. As we read the vision of marriage in the New Testament, so often we see it's about this kind of uh, mutual, mutuality, this sense of giving to each other. And then Paul moves on. He changes gear with this. He says, even though like men and women are equal before God, they're not designed to be the same. And to our modern ears this sounds so offensive, but for a moment let's hear what's being said. Both men and women submit, but they submit differently. And according to both Paul and Jesus, gender is not a tool to bring to bring an agenda or to squash rights and be oppressive but gender is a gift to those made in the image of God to reflect the image of God and to reflect Jesus Christ to our world and to tell a greater story. And this is a vision. This is a vision that Paul's offering. This passage is not to oppress or to manipulate or to say, you know, women, if you're being abused, just keep submitting. That's not what it's saying. Saying this is a vision of what it means for you both to live under God in marriage. So, firstly, let's start with this: husbands, are you ready? Or those who want to be a husband, are you ready? It was countercultural to completely limit the power of men had in any sense in this time. For a man to submit to his wife was unbelievable. And it starts, we see this in verse 25: husbands love your wife just as Christ. Loved the church. I don't know if you followed the Jesus story at all. The way Christ loved the church is pretty impressive. And it's not the way I often think about marriage. This is sacrificial loving. We've lived in a fatherless generation in many ways. Well, we've grown up without male role models. So we've brought selfish visions of of being a husband into marriage. How does this woman meet my needs? But the vision is love like Christ loved the church. You know, so often when I hear people talking about relationships and marriage, like, "What what am I looking for in a person? What do I need in marriage? What can I get? Very rarely do I hear people say, who do I need to become so my spouse is loved? Very rarely do I hear that. And this love, this is, this is agape love. This is sacrificial love. And in this equation, we, we submit as husbands by sacrificing and loving, regardless of how the wife responds. We continue to do it. We continue to love. This is not dependent on their actions. This is part of our covenant commitment in marriage. And look at how Jesus loved the church, washing his disciples' feet, doing what no one else wanted, laying aside himself, not making it about him dying to himself. This is about sacrificial love. Secondly, this this is about a sanctifying love. Verse 26 and uh, 27, we see in here, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through, through the word, and to present her as a radiant, Make her holy without blemish. Is what I'm doing lifting up my wife and all that God wants to do in and through her? Do the decisions I make lift her up? I wonder how often the vision being, does my, does my wife support my dreams? Does she help me be all I'm meant to be? How does she help me? And you know, we've seen, and I see this so often, and I have been at times guilty of doing this, where like our wives have become crushed Just piece by piece, little by little, as their brilliance and genius and creativity and personality is seen as just being a vehicle for releasing the husband. And actually was something the husband was meant to lift up as beautiful. Christ here has a vision for the church and he dies to present it in all that splendor. Husbands are called to die to allow us, our wives to flourish. die to our own selfish desires. My wife's a a teacher. She works at a school here in Karen. And when I turn up on that site, I lose my identity. I turn up on the site and they're like, oh, you're Abby's husband. I was like, yeah, well, I have a name. They're like, "Ah, you're Abby's husband. Or you're Mr. Arnold, okay. I'm like, do you know, I I do have a job. I actually do this. I kind of, no, no, no. I'm actually doing a way better job of living the way of Jesus if I support my wife, help her flourish. And people come up to me and say, she's an amazing teacher. She's a wonderful teacher. She's so called to do this. And so instead of seeing that as a loss of my identity, that no one knows me on that side, I'm like, they know my wife. She's brilliant. That's incredible. And thirdly, this we're called to nourish And to cherish in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. At the start of every week, the question is like, how do we nourish? How do we cherish? The question is not how does our wife nourish us, but how do we nourish them? We submit our need to be nourished and cherished, of which men have, to God. And we do it for our wives to die to ourselves, to love our wives, and pour ourselves out for them. And this is spirit-filled submission for men. Okay, you're tracking with me. Guys, how are we feeling on this? How many of you are asleep? Okay, the women are not asleep. They're like, you, you need to be listening to this. <laughs> okay, secondly, this spirit-filled submission for women. And this is where we're like, okay, I'm checking out. I'm done. Thank you very much. Well, let's start off what this is about. When people rave to me, I like hear lots of people have very heated arguments and thoughts about men and women's roles, men and women's roles in churches and in leadership. I just think we need to push back on that. This passage is not about church leadership. This passage is not about the culture at large. This is about one husband and one wife in a covenant marriage under Jesus. That's it. That's what this is about. Someone once heard my wife and I arguing. It was a pretty feisty, tasty argument. (laughs) I was on good form, she was on better form, and the person heard what Abby called me, and the things she said about me, and this person jumped in and agreed, they're like, you're so right, Chris is just like that. (laughs) And my wife's face changed, it became like thunder. And she looked at this person and said, how dare you say that about my husband? (laughs) was like, but I, I thought I just heard you say this about him. And she went, yes, but we're in a covenant marriage. We're in a covenant relationship that you're not part of. You don't speak about my husband like that. And I was stood behind it going, are you listening? You you don't speak about me like that, okay? (laughs) My wife can say things about me that no one else is allowed to. We're in a covenant relationship. And this passage is about that. It's about the context of marriage inside the covenant. This is not submission to men at large in our culture like it's been used often to oppress and to push down. That's not what this is but to a man in a marriage in the context of mutual submission. And we see actually that there's a vision of of being godly women that we often miss throughout the scriptures that we fail to uphold. This is just one example. This is Proverbs. You guys might know some of this. A wife of noble character who can find. She's worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. And what does this look like? She selects woolen flax and works with eager hands. She's running an online craft stall. <laughs> She's like a merchant ships bringing food from afar. She also has a farmer's market on the side. She gets up while it's still the night. She provides food for the family and portions for her female servants. She's a manager. She's in leadership. She's got people under her. She considers a field and buys it. And out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. This woman is in real estate and she dabbles in wine on the side. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for the task. She goes to the gym and she works out at CrossFit. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. She's trading in stocks and making this work. When it snows, she has no fear for her household. For All of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes covering for the bed. She's clothed in fine linen and purple. She's got a textiles company going on. She's a designer. Her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She's running retail. She's clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She is the life of the party. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She's got a grad degree in English and she's a part-time business consultant. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. She's a domestic manager. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also. And he praises her, many women do noble Things but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her. For all that her hands have done. And let her works bring her praise at the city gate. She has influence in society. This is a vision of what healthy marriage and spirit-filled wise can look like. This passage is not about can we push women into the right place. It's about how do we lift them up to be brilliant. This isn't stifling. This isn't an <laughs> oppressive image. So when he says, wives submit, what does it mean? Well, a better question is, what are they submitting to? They're not submitting to rules and commands. She is submitting to a man who is dying to himself to do the best for her. Trusting that he wants the best for her, to love her at all times, choosing to allow herself to be loved. But this is only in the context of Is the man loving the wife properly? The sense of submission only follows if the husband is loving her like Christ loved the church. In fact, if a man ever says to a woman, You should submit, the woman should respond, You should die. And that should be the vision that we are able to offer to people. All of a sudden, the women are taking notes, I've noticed. This is the vision. But in our kind of emotional independence, in the trauma of this moment we live in, we can't see this. But I th- and I think given what we go through as a society, the trauma that many women have been through, the pain and damage we see, we're generally terrified that we can give ourselves to one another in vulnerability and mutual submission. I think, by and large, we're generally terrified of that. And we look at the role of husbands and go, Pff, yeah, when's that going to happen? And the curse of the fall, the desire will be for your husband who will rule. We're terrified if we let people in that the husband will rule like a tyrant. So we push back and we keep our distance. And the husbands look at this passage in Proverbs and said, Yes, I would take a wife like that, but she's not, so I don't do my part. But no, we first die to ourselves because that's what allows often our wife to flourish. says this woman, respect your husbands. Can I be honest? And I can speak from real experience. Men, by and large, don't know how to be men. By and large, we don't know how to be men. And we're struggling often to figure out dying to ourselves in a world that is telling us to live for ourselves. So when it comes to respect, um, I just want to offer, when men try this stuff, when they're like, I am trying to figure out what it means to love you and die for you, don't be like, is that the best you can do? Because I have rarely seen men changed by kind of sarcasm or snide comments. Try and respect a little bit of what they're doing. I remember the first year of our marriage, I said to Abby, I said, what do you want for your birthday? And she kind of mentioned stuff. She said, she said joking that i like a hairbrush. Um, so I got her one, and I wrapped it up. And I, Martha, stop it. <laughs> and I even got a nice card to go with it and on her birthday she was so gutted she was devastated she's like how dare you she's like this just so you know is not a present it is a coded request for a punch in the mouth (laughs) just so you know I am now the best present giver in my wife's world you ask her bar none and it's not coincidence that she is not here she's teaching kids <laughs> i am my wife's best present give her bar none i'm outstanding at it i know her tastes her style what she likes but it has taken time and there have been some failures along the way respect your husband as they're trying to follow the way of jesus and the goal of this is that it becomes a portal and a vision to this true story of redemption to show Jesus. Jesus. Paul says here, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. In a world where marriage has been moved from being a covenant to a contract, and if the contract is not fulfilled, we check out. Where marriage has become convenient child-rearing strategies or often hook-up strategies, Our marriage is designed to become prophetic witness to the redemptive love and grace of Jesus Christ. And even in our brokenness, it has an opportunity to do that. It's not that we don't get things wrong, we do. Abby and I definitely do. But the way we choose to handle each other in the midst of that is hugely powerful to the people around us. And we begin to offer a bigger vision of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, you know so often the the pain in marriage, the pain in not being married, what we bring in relationships. But Lord, I ask, what we're in the midst of now, whether we are happily single, unhappily single, happily married, unhappily married, whatever it is we're facing, Lord, I pray, we would use it as a vehicle To show you that we would be a people who mutually submit to one another because we love you and we place you at the head. Lord, I pray for those who are in tough and abusive marriages that they, Lord, would see you. Come, Lord Jesus. Would you restore your sense and hope for relationships, we pray? Oh man. Guys, would you just stand up with me for one minute? I just want you to stretch. Turn to the person next to you and say, Wasn't that an amazing sermon? <laughs> that guy is so funny, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. (laughs) Guys, we have, uh, we're going to do baptisms now. We're so excited about baptisms. I'm going to invite the guys who are uh, getting baptized. Just come up so you sat here at the front so we know where you are. And we're going to invite them up. We're just going to hear a little bit about their story in just a moment um yeah we're really excited we're gonna after this we're gonna head out um just down here for those of you around we're gonna head out stand around the pool um it's not gonna take very long it's freezing cold um but we will be in there and we'll baptize them so we invite you to come along and join them as let's celebrate um together you guys stretched out you feeling good feeling strong okay just sit down just for a couple of minutes while we walk through this So guys, for those of you who don't know why we do baptism, I just want to give you a brief kind of walk through this. God chooses throughout the entirety of Scripture to bring His sense of life out of the chaos of waters. We see it in the creation story where where God separates the waters to bring out land, to see flourishing in life. And we see it in the stories in the Old Testament time and time again. Out of the, the chaos and darkness of waters, we see uh, the new humanity, and Noah and his family come out. We see the waters parted uh, as the Israelites leave Egypt, that we see um, God's uh, life and love for his people coming. God chooses to bring out of the chaos of waters, he brings light. And then we see in the New Testament, we see uh, Jesus gets baptised. And he goes along, he gets baptized, and uh, God's Spirit descends on him. And we have this beautiful moment in Scripture where we see uh, the Trinity in one place, in one time. Uh, And God, uh, Jesus is filled with the Spirit for all that he would go and do. And when we baptize people, as the early church encouraged us to do, when we baptize Um, people we join in as part of that story that arches back through centuries and centuries uh, that we become a part that we join and say we too are going to get baptized we want to be part of god bringing life out of chaos life out of darkness and we ask his spirit to descend on those people getting baptized in just a fresh um, way today so those of you unsure what baptism isn't it's not a ticket to get you into heaven that's not the point. You know, when we see little kids christened and baptized, it's not, it's not that. This isn't something that makes you a, a more holy Christian so you can brag about it. It's not another badge that we collect. It's not some weird ritual we do. We don't get kicks from dunking people in the pool. And this isn't the thing that makes you a Christian. Um, but this is something we do as this public symbol where we're immersed in water, a way of dedicating our life to Jesus. So it's this public thing we do as well. It's what Jesus asked of us. So the one of the ways that Jesus says we can symbolically surrender ourselves to what Jesus wants for us again. And it's this opportunity to publicly profess our faith. The, sense, the symbolic sense of our, our sins being cleansed in the water and new life coming out. So just so you know, if you sat here and you're not sure, you don't have to be baptized to be a Christian. That's okay. But baptism is something you only need to do once. This is not something you need to keep on doing. Uh, This is not something we do for babies either. We dedicate babies. We say, parents, we want to challenge you to bring them up the way of Jesus. Um, But we want to uh, baptize them in water when they're able to make their own decision about this. So I'm going to invite um, Brill. Do you want to come up first? Let's put our hands together for Brill. (laughs) (laughs) Brill, how are you doing? I'm all right, good man. Thank I'm you. excited. Yes, uh, so Bril, tell us why why baptism.
0: Um, so I give. I grew up in a Christian family, and um, grew up knowing God and knowing everything. And then after I gave my life to Christ, I didn't have a, a symbol per se because uh, my family and I are from different, uh, let me say denominations. I grew up Adventist. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found it difficult to to honor them and also honor my commitment to God. Um, so it took me some time, but after a while now, I realized, okay, um, I'm ready enough. So I uh, decided.
1: And what difference does Jesus make to you?
0: Uh, all the difference. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I try to live my life through him, serving him, try to use him as my compass for everything that I do.
1: Amazing. Awesome. Thanks, Brill. And for those you who don't know, Brill's an amazing saxophonist. Shirley, why are you getting baptised?
0: I think throughout my life, I have walked with God. He has shown me that he is my natural, my caretaker, my provider. Mm. Um, Yes, we have our fights, but (laughs) he has shown me that he is just behind me all the time. So this baptism is more or less, more like a cleansing and accepting that I am ready to walk even deeper with him.
1: Amazing. And what difference does Jesus make to you?
0: (sighs) I think just like him, everything. I can't. I don't think I can start a day without talking to him or even end a day without talking to him. Mm. Or even in between when I'm facing some frustration, I just say a little prayer with him and be like, yo, can you please just guide me through this? And
1: yeah. Amazing. Awesome. Let's put our hands together for Shirley. And this is DeMato who's getting uh, baptized. Why don't we give her a big cheer if she comes at her? How are you doing?
0: Fine.
1: You already have your T-shirt on like me. Well yes. done. Why are you getting baptized today?
0: Uh, I wanted to become baptized because of um, I I don't I don't feel that I wanted to become baptized because I felt like I wanted to become more with God and because every time I see children getting baptized on videos. I see them looking very happy
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I wanted to feel that way and that when i was when I was told that I could be baptized, I was very scared at first, and then I was told that mm um, that. Not going to be too scary, and of how happy I'll feel, and that I can't wait to be baptized.
1: Brilliant. What well, do we put our hands together? Hey, guys. Well done. So, guys, when we're out there by the pool, just so you know what we're going to we, we say three things. We say, um, Do you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you renounce the devil and all his works? And you commit to follow Jesus all days of your life? And then we're going to dunk them in the pool. Uh, and we're going to baptize them. We're going to do it properly. Okay. So, guys, can I encourage you? I'm going to chuck some shorts on. We're going to meet you out there in just two minutes. The pool is out of here. Turn left, and it's over there. So just follow follow Mike. Mike knows where he's going. Everybody
0: so nice to see.